0: Hello and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist Waste Less Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. Follow the link in the description to pre-order a copy of the book so you'll be the first to receive it on the release date of September 1st, 2022. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 45 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we get to talk about another exciting initiative. If you listened to last week's episode, then you know that we discussed the 30 by 30 initiative among several other national and California-specific initiatives or laws. Anyway, in this episode, we are chatting about the Zero Landfill initiative that has been going on for a few years in select national parks. I hadn't heard much of anything about this initiative specifically until my guests today brought it to my attention. Patrice and Justin Levine are writers and environmental educators who live outside of Denali National Park in Alaska. From 2018 to 2020, they were Zero Landfill Initiative traveling trainers for the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics and Subaru of America, traveling around the United States doing outreach and education in the three national parks working to become Zero Landfill. Adventuring plans on your calendar? Remember to grab your Lava Linens travel towel on your way out the door. Founded by a mother-daughter team, Lava Linens crafts durable, luxurious travel towels as a more sustainable and better performing alternative to microfiber and cotton towels. Powered by flax and hemp, they're designed to be by your side for years to come. Use the code Outdoor Minimalist for 15% off your next order so thank you both for joining me on the show today i am really excited to learn more about this zero landfill initiative but before we get to all of that can you tell me a little bit more about your involvement in the outdoor industry and just in general how outdoor recreation became a part of your life
1: yeah sure thing thanks meg for having us we're really excited to be on Uh, my name is patrice and i'm here with my husband justin we're the levines we have been in the outdoor industry for a number of years in different roles we do environmental education we have done speaking tours across the country related to gear and we are both writers and I'm also an author of a trail travel memoir that came out in 2020 and we just love spending time outdoors mostly hiking and backpacking but we live up in Alaska so our winter is very long and we spend a great bit of time in the snow and playing the snow doing those snow sports
2: yeah and so my name is justin levine the other half of patrice here and as patrice said we do love playing in the snow and uh you know that's we still have two or three feet of snow on the ground up here now so i'm a backcountry guide i take people uh, backpacking and hiking around the denali alaska area and uh show them the vast wilderness here. Of course, as Patrice said, we do a lot of environmental education and I bring that into my guiding too. And I'm more of a technical writer. I kind of write about gear and the aspects of gear. Yeah, we kind of live a little life less ordinary up here in Alaska, tucked away in a small cabin, a dry cabin, (laughs) uh, right outside of Denali National Park.
0: That's awesome. I've always wanted to visit Denali, um, but I've never been to Alaska. I really need to make it up there. Have you guys always lived in Alaska?
2: No, we have not. So we lived a very nomadic life, and in 2011, we quit our jobs, and we threw hiked the Appalachian Trail. And from there, it stemmed into a lot of opportunities in the outdoor environmental education and property care all over the United States, so we have you know done everything from uh, managed a private island off the coast of Massachusetts to a TP lodge in Oregon to a backpacker hiker hostel on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia and working for uh, various publications like Backpacker Magazine doing speaking tours for them and then Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics, which we'll talk a little bit about today. So uh, we've just settled down in Alaska in 2019 and we've been on the road almost 10 years living out of camper vans or Subarus.
0: Wow, that's amazing! A very busy, busy life. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: I also didn't know Patrice that you were an author. What is your book called?
1: It's called Between Each Step: uh, Married Couples' Through-Hike on New Zealand's Tierra. So, in two thousand fourteen and fifteen, Justin and I walked the length of New Zealand. And so we've always been writers and backpackers, and I just finally took on the author role and ventured into that space. And I know that you and I share that publishing path, and we can always talk some other time about that because I know that it's, it's such a crazy world to be entering in
0: yeah it is it can be kind of intense but i'll be sure to link your book in the episode notes in case people want to check it out sounds good um so thank you for sharing all of that info about yourselves but to kind of move into the topic i think let's just start out by talking about your general involvement in the zero landfill initiative and when and how you were working on that project with the national parks
1: yeah sure thing i I think to explain really the zero landfill initiative need to give a little bit of history. It really started with Subaru in 2004 when their US manufacturing plant in Indiana achieved the status of zero landfill. That was their goal. And and that meant that they started creating zero waste when they were manufacturing their cars there. And they do this by reducing materials to build the cars, reusing materials and recycling everything else. And so with everything that they learned in that process, they wanted to share their knowledge and in 2015, Subaru approached the national parks with the gift of expertise and funding and said that they wanted to make a goal of making three pilot national parks be zero landfills. So the chosen parks were Grand Teton and Yosemite in California and then Denali, of course, in Alaska. So these parks were collectively sending nearly 10 billion pounds of waste to the landfills at that time. So the initiative helped make some behind the scenes changes like installing Bear proof recycling bins with standardized labeling and water refilling stations. And all of those things make it easier for visitors to the area to create less trash. Justin and I came in the picture because Subaru partnered with Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics in 2018 to 20 to send a team on the road to spread awareness about the Zero Landfill Initiative. And that goal was to do outreach for employees, visitors, and surrounding communities of these parks. So Justin and I bounced around to the three parks during the summers. We did about, I don't know, like 150 events that included boothing at visitor centers, we did some cleanup events, and of course just teaching awareness to smaller groups like at amphitheaters and and whatnot.
0: Very cool. So you kind of touched on a few of the aspects of, I guess, implementation in the national parks of how they were kind of achieving these goals, but is there any other sort of like more concrete vision or mission of this initiative?
1: I think, you know, it started with the three pilot parks and they just, um, you know, they used some of that as experimentation and they, they just wanted to inspire other areas and parks to embrace zero landfill practices. There aren't any formal plans for Subaru funding, but many other parks have been inspired to make internal changes and it's just awesome to see it grow.
2: Yeah. And so what they basically did is they kind of gave like a roadmap for other places to adapt and adopt these practices. And we'll talk to you a little bit more about those as we go on. So really it's kind of a trickle effect to try to get other parks, and it doesn't have to be national parks, it could be your state park, your local park, it could even be your community to start thinking about this. As we were doing all these events, we ran into a lot of people that said, well, we do a ton of recycling where we live, we do no recycling, and wow, I didn't know we could do all this to kind of decrease our footprint in these national parks while they're on vacation.
0: What were the successes in those three parks that people would be able to look at as a model? I mean, you mentioned some of the bear-proof recycling bins, and then you did a lot of education, which is really important. But would there be any type of tangible impact, I guess, that
2: people could model off of? Yeah, so I think the tangible impact is getting people to you know know before they go and to plan ahead and prepare. These folks know that they're going to visit these parks whether you're flying or driving or maybe riding your bike to these parks, thinking about what you're bringing as a traveler and thinking about maybe some reusables. And you know, one of the biggest trends over the last probably 10 years are reusable water bottles. You know, we see tons of people reuse water bottles, and that's a great thing to do, but we could think about it even a little bit further and maybe saying, well, you're going on vacation. You drink a lot of coffee. Maybe you bring your reusable coffee mug. You might use reusable shopping bags at home while you're going to the grocery store, but you certainly could bring those with you on vacation and refuse those bags in the gift shops of these stores or the local grocery stores. A lot of times on vacation, you're going out to eat a lot. Maybe bringing your own Tupperware, not even just on vacation, but also out to the restaurants. When Patrice and I go out to eat, we have Tupperwares in the car and they say, would you like this to go? We said, absolutely, we'll be back in a minute. And we bring it in and I'd say half the servers there are just astonished that we do that. So there's a lot of things that you can think about beforehand.
1: And I think related to what Justin said, you know, in terms of the three pilot parks, they all did things differently, but they all had many successes. And there are different measurements that they uh, took of like their waste diversion rates. And so all of them decreased their waste diversion. And that means what they were sending to the landfill. And, you know, I think Yosemite already had recycling in place, but the other two parks did not. And so that was kind of a big piece of it, getting that funding so that they can implement recycling and be able to, uh, you know, take some of that trash and recycle it. Especially like in these areas, this is something that people don't realize is when you're going to some of these national parks, they're of course remote. And so it's really hard to recycle in these areas where they might be traveling miles and miles. Like here, we're, we're traveling 200 miles to get to the recycling plant. So just putting those fixtures in place those infrastructures that was a big piece of their success
0: yeah I didn't really think about the remoteness of the parks and their difficulty to recycle but that is really true because I've lived in some other areas that didn't recycle because of that reason that the facility was too far away so they couldn't justify paying for that etc exactly exactly
2: And if you think about some of these national parks, you know, the the national parks and the national monuments, a lot of them are very remote and far away. So it's not just the case for Denali, where we travel 200 miles to the landfill and recycling plant, but like the Tetons, I think, was about over 100 miles to get to to the landfill. And in Yosemite, it wasn't too far, but Yosemite is a very concentrated area, you know, near the big cities, so you're just contributing to that. But a lot of these parks are so remote, especially ones up here in Alaska. Like they're flying only. They're flying only, yeah. So a lot of time, it's pack it in, pack it out. And we see that a lot. Getting people to think about that more, like you know, maybe bringing in your reusables into the park and repackaging your things and then bringing that home with you. Maybe Denali doesn't recycle glass. You could think about bringing that home with you.
1: And, you know, just kind of what you just said, Meg, you've lived in areas where they haven't offered recycling. And I think a lot of times we met travelers who were, who were saying, well, I don't understand. Like, they, they automatically assume that national parks would be recycling. And yes, they absolutely would like to. But, you know, it's an, a business venture. You know, it's part of something that requires extra funding. And so a lot of people that were traveling around, they were really surprised that this was maybe a new initiative, that recycling wasn't uh, existing 10 years ago. and and so and they were also just kind of assuming that the same things that they recycle at home would be recycled wherever they were visiting and we learned so much about the different recycling infrastructures that are going on around the country and they do vary area by area.
2: Absolutely and they vary by by each of those parks and so we had to learn you know what park everything that gets recycled in there and a lot of people think that recycling is is a good thing and a feel-good thing but recycling is actually a business and so You know, you need to think about items that are recycled that that can make money and items that are at the end of their life. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, too, I think.
0: With this initiative, something that is kind of sticking out to me right now is your conversations with people. Because I think a lot of times, at least in the United States, a lot of travelers have a preconceived notion or this expectation that someone else will do it for them. So that pack it out concept, it it might feel like a little bit foreign because I think of some of like the more remote places I've traveled in other countries, that is kind of already the framework and the expectation is that everyone traveling in those areas is expected to take all of their trash out of the whole park, not just of the trail. So I think that that's kind of just an interesting observation you guys had.
1: And yeah, and just one thought about that, you know, in general, Justin and I always say with Leave No Trace, you know, these are ethics that people follow when they go into outdoor spaces that we're hoping to promote. And we always say in general, we think it's not anyone's fault. It's just that they're unaware of of how it's impacting. So with the pandemic, of course, like so many more people are getting outside and, you know, we're seeing some of those repercussions. But it's just that that awareness or that education is not in place. So they might, like you just said, expect that somebody else is going to take care of it. They don't realize that, like, pack it in, pack it out is so important because you don't want to strain the resources in that area, that public land space that you might be visiting. And you just want to be part of the solution, not the problem.
2: And one thing to think about with all of our national parks here is it's not just Americans and people speaking English visiting these parks. These parks are treasures that people come from all over the world to visit. And a lot of these people do not speak English. So again, Patrice said, it's you know, it's not their fault. It's kind of our fault. We need to educate them. And the way we started doing that is with pictures. If you put a picture, most people can tell that that's a bottle or a cup. Or this coffee cup is not recyclable and should go to the landfill so really educating you know visitors from overseas people that don't speak english and helping them to make the right decisions and to think about where things go does it go to the landfill or does it go to the recycling plant
0: exactly yeah i think that accessibility is really really important patrice you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier about the three pilot parks and kind of a potential for expansion into other parks as a project, but there isn't really a set in stone plan quite yet. So how have the national parks beyond those three pilot parks started to catch on to this idea or implement some of the same concepts in their areas?
1: Yes, so we we did mention that, you know, it was sort of just an inspiration and that roadmap is there. There are resources available for other parks to be able to adapt or adopt to their areas. And there aren't really any formal plans in place, but I can kind of tell you a little bit how those three pilot parks have really implemented the practices and kept them going. They're still going full steam ahead. They're continuing their efforts even without any Subaru funding. You know They have all increased their waste diversion rates since starting the initiative. Speaking about Denali is the easiest since we live here. I just want to give that example because in 2015, Denali was diverting about 15% of its waste from the landfills, and now they're up to 34%. So it's certainly not 100%. We're not to the zero landfill yet, but all of those efforts that they put in place and the ones that they're continuing have really helped to get that waste diversion rate changing you know for the better and we live outside the park and we've stayed involved and it's just really impressive for us to watch how many of the surrounding businesses in the area have adopted zero landfill trends uh denali is really unique because there are so many supporting businesses so many concessionaires outside of the park you know it's it's really it takes a village that's kind of like the right statement to say is that these businesses over the years have seen how the park put it in place and how Certain concessionaires stepped up to the plate right away and then others, you know they found it in their budgets or they found it in their practices. Um, there's now recycling available in our community, not just in the park. That wasn't always the case. Many concessionaires stopped selling and giving away disposable water bottles. They switched to reusables or they start were selling aluminum water bottles and recyclable to go containers. I mean, there's just so many examples of different businesses that really have taken a stand.
2: Yeah, and so just not here in Denali, but another perfect example is in Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. Um, A lot of food waste was going on there, and a lot of this waste was going into the landfill. And a local farmer came up and said, listen, all this food waste, would you guys just want to give it to me? I'll come up there and pick it up. And so now there's a whole composting thing going on in Grand Tetons where this gentleman is taking all of the food waste and scraps and bringing it out to his farm. And that's kind of extended into the community too.
1: Yeah. And just with that, one thing to note is that Jackson, which is the closest community to Grand Teton, they are also practicing zero landfill or what they call zero waste. And so so much about their community and all the businesses in Jackson have really adopted these practices before or in conjunction with the zero landfill initiative in the park.
0: Yeah. So it is kind of like you were saying earlier, it's kind of this like trickle effect where one large entity is kind of implementing some of these big changes it really influences the entire community so it really feels like a lot of these changes if it were to spread to other parks it would have to be kind of a localized effort and maybe not necessarily like a big sponsor like it originally was Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah
2: and those resources are available from you know the leave no trace from subaru from from these parks they've provided these resources for that roadmap for other parks, other entities to start thinking about this and and getting visitors to really think about it too before they leave their home and just not going to the park, but just about everywhere. But the biggest part is, as Patrice I think mentioned, is the education, is to get people to think about all these things that we're throwing away that are going to the landfill and maybe thinking about are these things, are, are they recyclable? and so we did a lot of this education with people through the parks and I'm gonna put you on the spot here Meg this is kinda some of the things that we talked about our visitors we would have all of these items out on a table talking to people about how long do you think this takes to break down and one of those items was an aluminum can so Meg if I threw an aluminum can out on the ground in maybe your area up here, just any basically area, how long do you think it would take for that to completely decompose?
0: Yeah, so I should know this because it is (laughs) in my book. Um, (laughs) But I did research in order to write that section. So I would probably have to guess, Hmm, I would guess at least 800 to a thousand years. I don't really know because where I live is a really, it's a high desert region. So it's gonna take quite a
2: while. And you're absolutely absolutely right with that in high desert areas things take a lot more time to decompose and the kind of uh, thought process for an aluminum can is about 80 to 100 years but whenever someone says more we absolutely agree with them and Mm -hmm. so the purpose is not to throw that can on the ground and to have that break down you know taking that to a recycling center. Another perfect example is this plastic bottle epidemic that we have going on. And you know, a plastic bottle absolutely takes forever. It actually never really completely breaks down if you throw that on the ground. It breaks down into little micro-plastics and it's really hard. A plastic water bottle only is recyclable maybe once, two times at the most. And so what we kind of educated people about is it's better to have aluminum. Aluminum is recyclable over and over and over again you can recycle it as much as you want. So one of the big pushes with these parks is to stop selling plastic water bottles and providing that water in aluminum bottles and letting people know that aluminum is recyclable over and over again. So the average person uses about 156 plastic bottles in a year and about 60 million go to the landfill each year. And unfortunately only about 20 percent are make it to the recycling plant so we just want to give people these this thought process about choices if you have a choice between aluminum and plastic you know aluminum is the way to go
1: yeah and that's kind of the biggest takeaway of this zero landfill and and trying to get it to become just something to think about as you're traveling there it's really easy to be a more sustainable traveler anywhere you go Not just those parks, not just those pilot parks, or not just national parks. And, you know, Justin mentioned earlier about, like, the reusables. That's kind of the key. So even though behind the scenes, some of these zero landfill parks were starting to sell aluminum versus plastic, you know, we just want people to think about what they're doing when they're going to these places.
0: Everyone plans and prepares for every trip, and so you can kind of just, like, add that on as a piece of that prep and kind of rethinking some of those choices, like you're saying. One thing that I noticed is that you didn't mention glass, which I think is really interesting, but in the area that I live, glass isn't recyclable. So I do think that it's good, like, aluminum is recyclable, I feel like, almost everywhere.
1: Yeah, I remember listening to your episode about recycling, and you were talking about that, and I, you know, it, it struck me because that was something that Justin and I both learned as we were traveling around the country. We were really surprised how glass was not recycled in so many places, and then when you really start to think about it, you think about how heavy it is, and it makes sense, but we had never really thought about that before because some of the areas we lived did recycle glass so you know it's just once again it's about learning about what each area can do and and actually it's it's a little more complicated even up here in Alaska because inside the park they do recycle glass but not for our community we're not recycling glass Oh, interesting.
0: So is it just sent to different places?
1: Well, it's more about, you know, who's being able to transport and who Mm -hmm. has the budget for the transport. And aluminum cans, once again, like almost every place that we went for parks or just in general, like it always seems like that is the easiest thing to recycle.
2: And so the thing is, with up here, the transportation cost for all these items to go down to the Lower 48, to go to these massive recycling plants, And that's what glass comes into effect there. Glass, as Patrice was saying, is very heavy. So the transportation cost to get that out of there, because again, recycling is a business. Yes, it makes us feel good and all that, but also people are making money from this. So to ship these heavy glass bottles down to the lower 48 to be recycled, it's extremely costly. So some places do it, some places don't. Same deal with like the paper and the aluminum and all of that here.
0: Yeah, the cost for transportation, I think is often lost by consumers because it's kind of the out of sight, out of mind. You don't really think about what's happening after you've deposited anything, whether you're putting an aluminum can in the trash or in the recycling bin. We don't always think about what is the actual
2: process after.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So how can more visitors get involved?
2: Well, I think what they could do is to do a little research prior to going to the park and maybe learning about what that park is about. And, you know, these three pilot parks that we went to are very different In every aspect and learning maybe what's what's out in these parks and why we do these why we don't throw things on the ground Um, up here in Alaska we have a lot of animals and you know we want to be very careful that we're not dropping not only our garbage but our food scraps on the ground so kind of educating and our bus drivers in the park here educate the visitors very very well about this letting them know this isn't your park this is the animals park and and, you know this is why we're here so these bears caribou these moose they they can live and and roam free and it would be very hard upon these animals if they came upon garbage or food scraps so kind of thinking about these areas that you're going to planning ahead and preparing researching knowing you know what's going on there and, and can you buy your food there? Could you bring some things with you? Of course, bringing all of those reusable items we talked about, the water bottles. One of the biggest things is these pushes for water refilling stations. And back when we were a school, we called them drinking fountains. So they're, they're <laughs> water refilling stations. And parks are throwing these out everywhere. You see them in the airport all the time. And, you know a big misconception is that people think water is dirty and in fact about 98 percent of the water in the united states is drinkable and so not just educating americans about this but educating the visitors from overseas because unfortunately A lot of times overseas their water isn't as drinkable so they think they need to go to the store and buy those cases of 24 30 pack of of water bottles and stock up for this long trip through Yosemite or Denali and just keep drinking these water bottles because they're afraid maybe this water isn't good so maybe a little bit more education about the water quality in the United States and we do realize there are some areas where you do need to drink bottled water but but it's not as much as places over uh, overseas
1: as a traveler myself I think think that it just takes a little extra effort to do that research before you're going to that place. I mean, you do research on weather, you know what clothes you want to bring, so you kind of want to know, like, am I going to a place where there's going to be good, clean drinking water? Am I going to a place where I can, you know, purchase food there or um, are they recycling there? Once again, like all of those really, really general things that you can find out in advance.
2: One thing to think about, too, is when you're in these areas, not just the national parks but everywhere, a restaurant. It's okay to refuse. It's okay to say, I love a glass of water, but no straw, please. Or, oh, I have my napkin with me and I have my utensils. So I really don't need those utensils. Please keep those for somebody else. And, you know, that visually, people see that and people notice that. And people notice that a lot with us when we break out our utensils, our napkins, or our straws. And they're like, huh, I guess we could do that. And, you know, we had these items on our tables a lot, telling people, you know, you can bring your own straw with you to a restaurant. It's great when some of these restaurants adopt the practices of not having straws or maybe doing the paper straws. But, you know, I think one thing that people are afraid to do is to think about it prior to. And of course, we don't do it all the time either. We forget, but say, yes, I'd love a drink tonight, but could you please put no straw on that? I don't need 35 napkins right now. One is fine. Thank you so much. So kind of refusing that. and, And that can decrease your footprint and again it's just a trickle it's, it's baby steps baby steps that's all you need to do
0: it really does once you kind of start to implement those small changes for one thing like maybe you're only making these changes when you travel it more than likely will like you're saying start to enter into your daily life which is really kind of what a lot of the zero waste and zero landfill initiatives are going for A lot of this information, in my experience, for the national parks that I have visited as far as like what is available in the park, and I'm not sure if they would list what they recycle or not on there, but is that usually on the website?
1: I think it just depends on the area you're going to. So, you know, if you're going to a community, maybe the Chamber of Commerce could be a good resource or if there's like a visitor center, thinking again about these three pilot parks and and that's exactly where you can find some of that information. For National Park Service, their website is usually really informative about lots of different things like the trails or, you know, if there's a shuttle service or this and that. So you just kind of have to dig a little deeper maybe into the Park Service website for the specific. Pacific Park to find out. And I think just going beyond that, thinking about the community you're going to and seeing about what resources might be available there. In general, for the Zero Landfill, there's a lot of information on National Park Service website and then Leave No Trace website and Subaru site. So some of that is out there. It just takes a little more effort to find it.
0: Yeah, and if people want to learn more about the zero Landfill Initiative specifically, I can link to those websites that you already mentioned. But are those the three primary places that people could read about it?
1: I would say, yeah, they're the best resources, kind of the starting point And, you know, just kind of thinking about the general and the background information. There's also even a training course that Leave No Trace put together that can be used for employees or just in general, like visitors, just to kind of like learn a little bit in, about zero waste practices. And it's just like a 20 minute course that actually Justin and I put together uh, for Leave No Trace. And I we think it's so useful. I mean, I think like everybody before they're traveling to just take it just so they learn a little bit. And that's on Leave No Trace's website.
2: And you know, as we said before, you know, this started with Subaru and Subaru does have a lot of information on their website, how to become zero landfill. And they, they wanted to share it with the parks, but they've also been sharing this with lots of businesses over the years and and they want to, to spread the knowledge. So, you know, they have some resources too. Leave No Trace does, as Patrice said, um, with a course. And then, you know, these, each three of the pilot parks have information about the Zero Landfill and and kind of specifically to their park too.
0: Okay. I think before we did the interview, Patrice, you sent me the link on the Leave No Trace website and something that you have said a couple of times throughout the episode is know before you go. And I think there was like five, I think five, (laughs) maybe there was more, but we could maybe go over what those primary know before you go stages are for people so they have like a really concrete framework so they can plan ahead appropriately.
1: Yeah so for those five things to think about the the general one the first one is the plan ahead and prepare and just like thinking about doing that research and finding out about the area you're going to and then the next one would be about refusing say paper maps and finding out um, if you can go online and be able to download some of the maps there and then the Two others are about reusables, so thinking about bringing your reusable water bottle and bringing your reusable um, grocery bag, things like that. Well, another thing
2: was the paper maps that the that the parks yes. provide. Um, so as you roll into a park, you, you pay your fee, and then they hand you this paper map and this magazine. And... You certainly can refuse that if you have your own map and a lot of these parks now have downloadable maps so you can download those before you go to the park. Have those on your phone and and just use those. And then also returning those maps. You can actually, these parks have places where you can return these maps and they can be reused.
1: I'm sorry, the third one was the reusable, also reusable mug, the coffee mug. So really just five ways that you can help, you know, the planning ahead and preparing, bringing lots of reusables, but specifically the three, the water bottle and your coffee mug and then your reusable bags. And then like we said, just the paper maps. Yeah, those
0: are all really simple and easy changes. I think that people can make and at least just try them (laughs) and then they'll probably figure out that it is actually easier and it makes a difference too. So with that, how can people learn more about you guys and your projects and maybe follow along with your journey?
2: we actually don't directly work for Leave No Trace anymore. We are still practicing Leave No Trace and teaching it, but we actually don't work for the nonprofit. But we're very involved in, in the Zero Landfill initiative, especially in our area here in Denali, um, being so remote. You know, We keep learning and minimizing our own footprint, and we love opportunities like this to spread the word. So whether it's Writing or doing a podcast or anything like that and as Patrice said, you know I think you said Meg, we're gonna put some of these links out there for the Leave No Trace and all of that and and Zero landfill and Subaru and all that so you guys can do that And We do encourage you to take that fun course. You could certainly learn some things You know, there's no obligation to pass or fail. It's just it's just something to do some education
1: and then, yeah, just personally, we actually <laughs> keep our own uh, website and and blog, and so you know we're always happy to answer questions that are related to like zero landfill or leave no trace or gear since or that's, Alaska or <laughs> Alaska. People. So we can definitely um, you know connect with folks. We love that. That's like part of the our whole being. It's yeah. just <laughs> being available to the public. Yeah, awesome. So
0: I'll be sure to include all of those links, especially to that course, but then also to your website and all that jazz in the show notes so if people are listening to this and they want to check out any of those resources later they can do it there but with that thank you guys so much for being willing to share all this information it's a really interesting initiative to me and i'm kind
1: of excited to see more parks implement these things yeah no thank you so much meg for having us on and helping to spread that message about zero landfill
2: yes thank you very much
0: Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can still find me on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book for daily updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.